All right, go ahead and open up to John chapter 18. John 18. It is time for our um, ever so often kind of monthly scripture reading. This time we're going to do it a little different though. Uh, We're going to start in the middle of a book, John 18. And before that, we're going to talk about the lead up to John 18. And the reason why this book was written and so forth. So, book of John has one goal, and that is to impress upon its readers the importance of the miracles of Jesus. A lot of times, we don't, we talk about the miracles of Jesus, but we don't really dive deep into them. And that's why the book of John was written, so that we could have account of some of the biggest and most influential, most notable miracles of Jesus' time. In fact, in what we're going to read today, he says that there are other things that Jesus did, other miracles that Jesus did that have not been recorded for us. And the reason why John wrote the ones that he did is because they're the, they're the pivotal ones. John chapter 2, turning the water into wine at the wedding at Cana. It's his first miracle. It's the one where he tells his mother that it's not time for him to do it, but he, but he does it anyways for one reason or another. John has focused his writing on one specific thing. And in John 17, Jesus prays that the prayer that, that most people, you know, most people remember Jesus praying. You remember one of two prayers, if, if not more. You remember Matthew chapter 6 and the, the model prayer, the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you ever played any type of sporting event in the south, you have probably memorized that ad nauseum, right? So the, the model prayer that Jesus prays and then the prayer where he says, I, I'm, I'm going to you, Father, and I want you to, to remember that, one, I've called these people for you, and I've taken care of them, what we'll see here in just a minute when we're reading this passage. I've taken care of them. They are all still here. They're with me, even though Judas is about to betray him. And then he, he prays that we would be one, that his followers would unite under what he was doing for us. The one thing that brings all Christians together, all members of the body of Christ, outside of backgrounds, outside of nationalities and so forth, is the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Without that, Christianity falls. Without that, uh, there's no reason for a church to begin with. There's no unifying factor. The book of Romans says that what happens at the end of, jo- uh, the, end of the book of John is what brings all people together. And without that, there is no unity. There can be no unity. So, chapter 18. Now, in this section, you're going to hear about high priests, plural. The reason for that is, there are two high priests at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. You have Caiaphas, and you have Annas. One was put in by the Roman government, because the Romans were trying to control Judaism, and so they needed... Uh, someone to kind of keep his finger on Judaism. And then you have the other who is supposed to be there. He's the Levite. He's the man who is in line, birthright, 
given to be high priest. And so in this, you'll see both of them. And you'll see how they kind of work together, but also kind of how they worked apart from one another. All right, John chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these things, John John 17, the prayer that he prays, he went out to his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you speak? Just, just watch what happens here. They don't know what they're getting themselves into. Whom do you speak? Or whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. They, they were terrified of Jesus. They had heard what he had done. They had heard who he was. They knew that he had powers over humanity, powers over the natural world. They didn't, un- they didn't know what was going on. All they know is that they're sent to take this man and they walk up to some person in the, the city park like we talked about this morning and say, we're looking for a man named Jesus. And he says, well, I'm right here. And they get terrified. So, um, verse 7, so he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have not lost one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into his, to its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that my father has given me? The same cup, mind you, that just before this, Jesus prayed would pass from him. But he understands that God is going to hold him to what he came to do on earth. So, the band of soldiers and their captain and their officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door so that, uh, so that the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door, and brought Peter in. The one who knew the high priest was probably John. Verse 17, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves with Peter also with them, standing and warming himself. Now notice, the lady at the door says, you're not one of his disciples also, are you? She had just talked to John. She knew John was a disciple. She's not a threat. Peter did not have to deny just then, but he did for one reason or another. She's standing there with John And Peter walks in, she knows John's a disciple of Jesus, and she says, aren't you a disciple of Jesus too? No, no, I'm not. And John doesn't seem to say anything. He's going to let Peter make the decisions that Peter needs to make. 
The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teachings. And Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews came together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he, when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus said to him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Notice the, the denial, of Jesus, uh, denial of Jesus by Peter. These men know the other disciples. They, he, they're not threats to Peter's life. He's scared because he sees Peter, or Jesus rather, going into these, these, these courts, as it were. He's terrified, but John's standing right next to him. The other disciples are with him. These, this man saw all the disciples with Jesus in the garden, and yet G Peter still denies him. Verse 28, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's quarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's quarters so that, it would, so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and, and, and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. And Pilate said to them, take, your, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Because if the Jews killed him, he would have been stoned. But Jesus had already said, Isaiah chapter 53, numerous times in his ministry, if I be lifted up, I will draw him in unto me. Jesus had already said he was going to be crucified. But if the Jews kill him, he's just going to be stoned and buried in a, in a false teacher's grave. Verse 33, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness of the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And after he had said this, he went back out to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. I just want you to remember, realize all the times that Pilate says Jesus is the king of the Jews. Pilate doesn't believe he is. But he's, Pilate is antagonistic against the Jews. And so when he has this man that they are saying is saying that he's king, he knows 
Jesus is not any threat to the Roman officials. He's not any threat to the Roman Empire. But Pilate knows that he can use this circumstance, he can use this situation to either upset the Jews and kind of troll them a little bit, or he can use it to keep the Jews quiet and peaceable so that he can be in control of them. So he, Pilate is using this circumstance for his own benefit. He doesn't, he's not, inter, he's not um, part of this at all. He's not privy to this, this false teaching, if it is a false teaching. He doesn't care one way or the other. He is a pagan who is looking at this circumstance to say, I can use this for my good, both politically and otherwise. Chapter 19, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt with him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Jesus answered him, the Jews, sorry, answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, we, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he's even more afraid because he knows that if he doesn't deal with this, the Jews are going to say that he's in connection with Jesus, which means they're going to uprise against the Roman government. So he's even more afraid. Verse 9, he entered the headquarters again and said to him, Where are you from? Jesus gave no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you or the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, noontime. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answers, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them crucified, to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with, two, with him two others, one on either side and Jewish between them, Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the King of the Jews. And Pilate answers, what I've written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic, 
But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. Why is John recording things like this? That his clothes were cast lot to fulfill the scripture. Because he's already talked about two or three of the things that Jesus did to fulfill the scripture. And now he includes one that Jesus had no control over whatsoever that still proved the scriptures. Remember, John is trying to record the major miraculous events. So the soldiers did these things by standing... But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones was broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, fear for, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might, be, might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission so that he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and of aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen cloths and with the spices, as, it was, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where they crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. So the, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out on the, with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb, but, the, but both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth laying there, and he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth laying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying, 
with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he might rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. And then the rest of chapter 20 records the appearances of Jesus to the disciples, to Thomas, to Mary, and the rest of his followers, to the seven, to Peter, and so forth. But I want to point out one thing. You can go ahead and open up your songbooks for the invitation if you want. There in chapter 20, when they go in, it says that verse 6, Simon Peter came following him and went to the tomb. He saw the linen cloths laying there, which had been on the head, not, but, but they weren't laying with the face cloth. In that time period, if you got up from a supper, from a dinner of any type, nowadays we have the little trick that no one really knows about flipping the knife over. Y'all have heard that trick before, right? If you flip it one way, it means you're done. If you flip it the other way, it means you're not done yet. In that time period, if you got up and you took your napkin and you wadded it up and put it on, your, on the table, you were done. If you took your napkin and folded it, it meant you'd be back. And Jesus takes his, na- his face napkin, folds it, puts it away from the other stuff so that people know, so that people recognize it and see it. And it's important. God never does anything on accident. He folds the napkin, puts it at the head, and leaves it away from all the others to show that he was coming back. Um, I don't know about y'all. I have read this numerous times over the years in preaching and in personal study and so forth. Um, But last night I went to go read it again for about the 15th time this week. And I got chill bumps when I got to that section. So um, hopefully, hopefully we can remember what Jesus did, but also remember that he did fold it, that, that he's coming back and that he's going to come back as 1 Thessalonians says, with a vengeance on them that don't know God, but those that do know God to give us rest. And so if you're here and you need to repent of sins, you need to make something right with God. Last week we went to Jacksonville to PTP Spark, and I heard a good friend of mine, Wade Webster, um, preach the the final lesson of PTP Spark. And um, the whole lesson was essentially this you know whether or not you need to respond. If it's obedience to the gospel, you know that you need to obey the gospel. And if you don't know you need to obey the gospel, it's because you don't understand what the gospel is to begin with. If you're a Christian and and you're sitting here, you know you are mature enough, you have the mental capabilities enough to obey the gospel, you have the mental capabilities enough to know that there is something wrong and I need to fix it. And... To take an opportunity and not complete something that we know we should do. That we have all the capabilities of understanding where we are in our faith, whether we need repentance or not. And to look at it and walk the other way is terrifying. Hebrews 10.31, it is fearful to fall into the hands of a living God. 
that comes right after the passage that says that we get together for worship to love and encourage and build up one another and strengthen one another. But if we look at an opportunity and turn our back on it, Hebrews says, one, there's no more sacrifice for sins because we're falling away from grace. And number two, we're staring down the barrel of God Almighty. And so if you need to respond to the invitation, you need to do that right now. There is um, nothing more terrifying than sitting or standing in a pew with white knuckles thinking, I need to obey, I need to respond, but just not right now. I know because I've been there. I've told you the story about my baptism. After everything was over, I raised my hand because I knew I needed to obey the gospel. I knew I needed to make something right. Everything is over. We've said the prayer. We've gotten, we've broken up. And I rose my hand and said, Josh, if there's some time, can I please be baptized tonight? Because I sat there during the invitation with white knuckles. Uh, We didn't have pews in the student center. We had couches. I sat there on the couch holding my Bible like this. I remember like it was yesterday. I held my Bible like this as tight as I possibly could because I just didn't want to obey. If you need to respond, that's what Jesus did for you and you need to do something because of it. So we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement for you and let us know while we do that.